Welcome to the Cynic Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs in China, coming to you from the pop-up Chinese studio here in Beijing. Happy National Day to all of our listeners. I'm Kaiser Guo, joined, of course, by the man who can make even this long-haired liberal Berkeley graduate feel insecure about the depth of his commitment to social justice and reform in China, the legendary Laoban of everyone's favorite, DanWei.com, NFT company. Uh, Mr. Jeremy Goldcorn, how are you this lovely autumn evening? Well, you're compressing more and more alliteration and nonsense into your introduction good, good. every I, week. I, 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 I need to do that. I mean, just, just it's, it's healthy to remind people of, of, of the dynamic, right? I mean, so today we step back, uh, at least for most of our show, from those beastly current affairs and cast our eyes back to the hoary reaches of history. We are absolutely dis, dis, dis delighted and, and thrilled, destructed, uh, instructed uh, to have with us for the first time in the studio the man himself, Mr. Laszlo Montgomery of the famous China History Podcast, one of our very, very favorite podcasts out there. Laszlo, it's wonderful that the stars aligned that we were able to catch you during your rare visit to Jingtown. How are you, man? Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. An honor to be here in Pop-Up Chinese Studios with you all. <laughs> yeah. Well, here you are. And uh, we're going to make it a good time. So we're going to be talking all about, um, you know, history, the state of popular history education in, in America. Um, and I guess if we have time, we'll, we'll actually also talk to you about your, the other side to your fascinating career, which is as sort of a fixer uh, for a, a big Chinese manufacturer of paper products selling into the U.S., right? A fixer. You say fixer. I think of Neil Hayward. Uh, I think, of, yeah. <laughs> or what's that new show? Um, Ray Donovan. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a fixer. But... Jeremy, we sh- it's been a pretty newsworthy, news-filled week. Um, For context, let's yeah, just absolutely. quickly go over what's happened in the last week since we last saw each other at last week's podcast. Borsi Lai verdict came out. Yeah, he got life in prison. Yeah. Concurrently with a couple of other things, I think life was for corruption, and there were a few other, you know, abuse of power. And, right, and some people were surprised by the length of the verdict. Yeah, uh, I guess punchers had it at fifteen to twenty. Yeah, I mean, I myself that was fifteen to twenty, but you know, uh, he could get parole and uh, after. 13 years, I think, is it? So. Uh, and a couple of weeks ago, our guests were talking about how the sentencing was going to be sort of indicative of, of what's going to happen to Zhou Yongkong and his the, 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 the people around him from the petroleum industry who are going to be purged. And who knows? I mean, the, you know, totally unreliable Chinese, uh, overseas Chinese press uh, in the last day or two has been saying that, uh, including want, want China Times, that Zhou Yongkong is going down soon. Yeah, I don't but think it's going to surprise anybody when, if and when he does. What else has been happening? Well, a few things, all interesting. One, Li Tianyi, the little brat, guardai, horrible, nasty son of Li, what's his name, Li Shuangzhang, uh-huh. the, the PLA. He's a, people gloss him as a PLA general, but he's basically a singer who is in a PLA art troupe and very famous on CCTV a lot. His mother uh, is also a famous uh, army singer. And this horrible brat who just last year was found to, uh, he, he and some of his friends um, were offended because a cheap car in front of them did something, drove too slowly, and they, they, they jumped out of their expensive Audi and then beat the occupants of the other car up. Anyway, he's been uh, in a court case for uh, gang rape uh, of guilty. a young woman mm-hmm. and found guilty, sentenced to 10 years in, in prison today. Good, good, good. And then uh, Yang Hui, a teenager, 16 years old, in Gansu, um, tweeted, I think in, in or near Lanzhou, tweeted about a, a murder case, uh, about how he believed the police were not doing a very good job and possibly covering up... Um, 
uh, official involvement in a murder case, was arrested and... Uh, Under this new law about... The 500 about retweets law. Right. right. Um, was arrested for spreading rumors. And there was outrage online, which is good to see it's still possible to marshal some outrage on Weibo, despite all these clampdowns. Uh, and he was released after a week in detention in Gansu. Uh, so that was kind of a big thing. And the other thing that was big, at least on, on Chinese social media, was uh, the case of Sa Junfeng, who was a street vendor who was uh, got into a, a conflict with two Chengguan, the urban enforcers who are kind of like sub-police and are famous in China for their hooliganism. And, yeah, yeah, they're not well-loved on Weibo or elsewhere. Or elsewhere, I mean, uh, you know, and, and they prey on the subclass of street vendors of which this guy, Sa Junfeng, was a member. And uh, he was sentenced to death and executed. Um, and a lot of people see this as something that should be compared against Gu Kailai, Bo Xilai's wife, who got life in jail and no death sentence for the cold-blooded murder of, of Neil Haywood. Right. Whereas this guy who appeared to be acting in self-defense uh, is already dead. And his wife and young child uh, have become people's heroes on Weibo. Uh, Once again, Weibo, Weibo, Weibo. Um, Weibo, I, uh, Weibo. Which, which reminds me that I think everyone uh, ought to go to our podcast page and look at our la- last week's podcast about the takedown of the big Vs. On, in the comment section, none other than Dashan himself, Mark Rosewell, has left a, uh, a very long and very thoughtful comment um, that he wrote at some ungodly hour of the morning um, due to jet lag. But it's, uh, it's, it's, it, he basically argues, among other things, that uh, we tend to overstate the, the, uh, the role of Weibo as a, as a public space politically, that, that not everyone on Weibo is obsessed as we are with, with things like politics and with political activism and, and so forth, uh, that most of it is, is actually just sort of frivolous stuff, what I ate for lunch, what celebrity I'm in love with, what I thought of this TV show. Fair enough. So, Dashan, Um, let's abandon the present and head for the past. I agree. And go into the rich and verdant fields of the China History Podcast. So, yeah, Laszlo, let's um, let's let's tell us about you know the origins of the podcast. I mean, what made you start the China History Podcast, and and um, what in fact got you interested in China in the first place? I understand it goes back to you know the Carter administration. Yeah, Carter administration, uh, as brief as it was, that, that four-year period, one of his great achievements, January 1st, 1979, United States and China had Zheng Changhua begin formal right. diplomatic relations, and once that ink was dry, then Deng Xiaoping came, and... He saw and he conquered. He put on that cowboy hat, and <laughs> that's when China mania blasted off. And the man of the year, man of the year, and wow, it was. Uh, yeah, it's only four years out of the Cultural Revolution, it and, was and, and there was a young Laszlo Montgomery. What were you all of, aimless you know? college students uh, with no major? This is li- in Champaign Urbana, right? I'm University of Illinois or yeah. Illinois, as they say in California, <laughs> and uh, yeah, just uh, picked up the paper one day, and there was uh, there was an ad in the paper that said, uh, you know, they were they're offering uh, two semesters of Mandarin. 
Plus like like a summer intensive program. Yes, like six hours a day, language lab, the whole works. Nice. And uh, I figure oh, I don't have to go back home. I don't have to look for a job. I'll stay down. Yeah, I've always been interested in China since since my earliest days. And so I stayed down, started to study, and uh, fin- you know took more. Uh, yeah, it was hard, but it wasn't that hard. And uh, junior year kept going, and then after junior year, went to Taiwan, studied for a couple of months there on one of these little KMT indoctrination programs. <laughs> you know, back in those days, you couldn't you, you walk in, you, in, in the streets of Taipei. Yeah, you, you say knew. Chairman Mao's name, you had to like look around, say who's looking, who's losing, make sure nobody's listening. Yeah, he was still that guy. So, uh, but that was my first trip to Asia and the Chinese environment, and I really loved it. And I went to Hong Kong, and when I got to Hong Kong. You know, and it, this was 1980. 1980, you just didn't buy a ticket and go to China. It was it was all run through Zhonglu. Yeah, yeah. So China, I went to Peking service. Road, China Travel Service, and uh, bought a two-week, 10-day, 12-day, some of the tour to China, Guangzhou, Beijing, Jinan, Qingdao, and Shanghai. Mm. And saw the sights and got to see China. I mean, this is 1980. So, you know, if you were a Westerner, it always put you at the front of the line. And, you know, just people would gawk and surround you. And it was just uh, a very interesting time. But, you know, to just be a, uh, an Okie from Skokie. <laughs> this was just, uh, it was just an amazing experience to walk out on Tiananmen Square and, you know, just have 300 people surrounding you and just in awe. And you ended up working in Hong Kong for quite a number of years, right? Yeah. You know, after I graduated, you know, things didn't happen quickly. I moved out to L.A. and just sort of worked a job for eight years. Nothing happened. So I just picked up and moved to Hong Kong and got immediately into the industry. I am still in. To this day, 24 years later. Okay. So at what point did you... You started the podcast around the same time we started Seneca. Is that right, Jeremy? June of 2010. Yeah. So we started in April. So just a couple months later. Uh, Great minds think alike. Yeah, indeed. And and what was your inspiration? Was it it like us? God damn, there's no good podcasts about China, was it? Yeah, that was it. I I, I really fell in love with that whole history podcast genre. And there weren't as many then as there are now, but... Yeah, I really liked that, and I was looking for uh, something that was, you know, history of China. There was nothing there, and I just got inspired because these these podcasters were not educators per se; they were just normal normal blokes. Yeah. So um, I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll I'll try and do this. I think I think I can do it. Uh, you know, as long as these as long as these China experts. Out in China, these these uh, all these Beijing expats. As long as they don't shred me, I, I'll just keep this going. And you know, as long as uh, you getting getting a lot of shredding, none, not a yeah, single I one. So. And, and to to be a Donway model worker and to be sitting here in pop up Chinese studios with Kaiser Guo and Jeremy Goldcorn. I mean, oh. what a uh, redemption! And uh, <laughs> honors uh, all ours. Oh dear. <laughs> but so what's your? I mean, you didn't know something about our process. Now you kind of see how we do this. How, how what's how do you do it? I mean, how do you put this together? How I mean, is it all one take? Do you? Uh, yeah, it's all the, one take. But yeah. Let's start how, the idea. When you, how do you decide to do a particular subject? 
yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's history, so there's nothing that's like relevant to some particular moment. I think when Je- when Xi Jinping came to the United States, I think that oh, well, that was a good idea to, to introduce him. That was timely, and with the Bo Xi Lai matter when that started rearing its ugly head, I figured, well, I don't want to do Bo Xi Lai is too political, so I did Bo Yi Bo do his father. But otherwise, other than these things that have some timeliness to them i just have a long list of topics and i'll just randomly pick one that i'm in the mood to do if i already have the resources for it and uh just start that way and by Uh, resources i assume you you mean more than wikipedia yeah more than wikipedia (laughs) uh yeah you know which comes in handy sometimes but yeah you have the old uh, internet which comes in handy but otherwise uh, i have a big collection of books and uh you know if i have some topic i'll i'll buy some books on amazon to supplement what i have but just between my 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 library and uh extant knowledge i mean what you already know i imagine a lot of that stuff that you throw in there just sounds like off the cuff anecdote that you remember from maybe you know stories you've heard sitting around. Ah, I fooled you. No, <laughs> no. Some some of the stuff I know, but most of the stuff is is just painstaking research. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll decide on a topic randomly and just you know, 10, 12 hours of reading and taking notes, and then from that I'll just compile some sort of an outline, and uh, which you know takes another several hours, and and then just record it all in one take, and then you know, which will take like an hour and a half and then to trim that down to about 40 to 50 minutes. And you started off much shorter than that. I mean, you started off with these really brief little... I was using uh, Bob Packett, History According to Bob. He'd, he'd come out with these little 10 to 20 minute little podcasts on certain topics. So that I, 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 initially I modeled myself after him and and uh, then just that it got increasingly more long-winded as I, uh, as they, uh, progressed. So, uh, now yeah, 40 to 50 minutes seems to be about a good time. That's a good commute. So what's your favorite show? Yeah. If you had to pick one that you've done your own show. I mean, oh, uh, China history podcast. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I like the one on Carl Crow. Uh, that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of a man after your own heart. Yeah. Yeah. That was, he's, very interesting guy. That was an interesting topic. Paul French uh, wrote this magnificent book, uh, uh, which I used as a primary source, and that was an interesting, uh, an interesting life. I just, you know, try and find somebody like that that you know nobody's really ever heard of before, but had this incredible China life. Uh-huh. And uh, the Kaifeng Jews was a was a enjoyable one to do. Um, Sir Robert Hart. Can we stick on Jews uh, for a minute? Can I ask you a question, Laszlo? Who has the real claim to 5,000 years of history or longer? Is it the Chinese, the Jews, the Greeks, the Indians? Who is it? Uh, Egyptians, Egyptians, Mesopotamian. Continuous. But they're not continuous. They're not continuous. Egyptians are a different people. But Jews, 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 we have a claim. Yeah, 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 there's a. Yeah, they have a legitimate claim. Older than China? Well, China, 1600 BC, you know, Shang Dynasty, that's sort of with the oracle bones if you're going to... And what were gonna... the Jews doing at that point? Uh, I don't know, what the were desert. they doing? <laughs> Fetching? 
Probably. I don't know my Judaica very well. This is Seneca. <laughs> <laughs> Ask those guys over next door in the Judaica podcast. <laughs> yeah, China's uh, 3,600 years still, You know, even if you want to just call it rec- you know, from recorded history with the uh, Jiaquan, with the, yeah. the, the, the oracle bones, 1600 BC, you know, and that's a great story because, you know, up until just about the turn of the century from the from the 1800s to the 1900s the shang dynasty had been a mythical dynasty right. so uh but that's as far back as it goes in terms of recorded history so but still 3600 years it's yeah, it's nothing to sneeze at nope no it's not indeed so but a lot of americans do sneeze at it or at least they don't even sneeze at it they just don't pay any attention to it i mean and this is not just a problem of china i think this or is americans, a problem yeah. or americans people tend to pay attention mostly to what's local um and if you're in a big rich country you tend to care less about people elsewhere but um What's your impression of the the the, the aware the general level of awareness of, yeah, of Chinese history of consciousness of Chinese uh, amongst history. Americans? This is a discussion of the decline of the public education system. No, 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 no. Because I, mean, I, I think <laughs> even even if you said the public education system was much better fifty years ago, I don't think you would say that awareness of China was much better fifty years ago. So we're not talking about American politics. I don't think. It, this I think question. It's, it's just uh, when I went to high school. Chinese history was offered, and I studied Chinese history. Now, it wasn't a semester class on Chinese history. It was mixed in with history of Africa and history of India. History of the rest. <laughs> yeah, so you, you got you got three civilizations in one course, but um, it's not something that's readily taught in okay. American schools anymore. So you really... Uh, you know, if it's taught at all, it's on a very superficial basis. So I was just reading uh, last month, a president or, or somebody uh, big in a Chinese university in, in Hong Kong was lamenting the fact that even in Hong Kong, uh, Chinese history is not included in many uh, curricula. So <laughs> if it's not but if talk- we can we go back to America, is it worse for China than other important parts of the world? I mean, you know, would you say that, say that, if there's such a thing, the average American high school graduate's awareness of European history, do they have a better idea of what Europe... Yeah, what, Western Europe Civ I mean, and American history. Those are really the big two. Yeah. Um, that's that's really it. If it's taught at all, it's it's Western Civ. Uh, Which means you know that Rome had an empire and yeah, Napoleon Greece and Rome. was short. They wore togas and maybe right. they did that in Greece too and buggered each other and... Um, but, I mean, it's, it's it's very sad. I've um, had quite a bit of experience teaching uh, at a very large state university. I, I taught for many years in the 90s um, to mostly lower division undergraduate students. Civilization and and, um, and history courses, just survey courses on China. And I'd always start the year off just asking them to free associate China. Tell me what you know. I mean, tell me what you think of. And then, you know, the, the the better ones that I would get would, you know, include Confucianism, usually spelled Confucianism, and, you know, maybe the art of war, martial arts, Bruce Lee, Kung Fu, um, you know, the Great Wall. Uh, you'd, you'd only have a few sort of completely wrong things, you know, Tokyo, Godzilla, or whatever. I mean, the, uh, once in a while, you'd have that, that sort of thing. But uh, others knew really quite... I mean, basically nothing more than, you know, um, 
takeout, chopsticks, white boxes, fortune cookies. Kind of um, like that Asian girls video that so incensed so many right, Asian Americans a few months ago. Right. Yeah. That was kind of funny. That bound. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, pretty Sorry. bad. But yeah. um, so is, is is this part of your mission? Are you trying to make this history accessible to to average American listeners? Yeah, that's really that's what really it was what all mean. about. Was trying to diminish the ignorance. I don't know. If it, it wasn't so much the uh, American public, but you know, just listening to just people in government, congressmen, just blathering on about China and just a, such a. You know, there's just really not much of a knowledge about Chinese history and culture. And so that that, that brings us to a very excellent question that Kai's actually scripted, but I'm just going to ask now, which is that how far back should the contemporary observer of China expect to have to reach in order to have a nuanced take on contemporary China? How far back? Yeah, I think at least to the Qing dynasty. You know, when I say, you know, you should learn about China, you don't have to go back to the the, 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 the Oracle Bones. Just if you just if you just start the Qing dynasty, sure. I think that's I, the I most relevant. Agree. Yeah. If you if you understand Qing at its apex, Qing in decline and then, you know, the 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 impact of the West, even if the if that's not moded, you know, uh, paradigm these days in scholarship, still that, that, that gives you a pretty good framework. Right. I, I completely agree. Yeah, with Qing, at least you had China at its, you know, most powerful, most, you know, greatest civilization, greatest place to live on earth. And then you saw the decline and what happened. And a lot of what happened just from, you know, the 1830s, 1840s, when uh, China sort of missed the boat on the Industrial Revolution and, and paid for that dearly and... You know, a lot of that stuff, a lot of things you see today and hear about, and a lot of it has to do with uh, just that period alone. Sure, absolutely. And, and what what would you say, uh, I mean, if I were to you know, kind of hold you to this, uh, what are some of the, the contemporary events, I mean, things in the last, um, you know, since Reform and Opening, the, uh, episodes that might be much better understood with a little bit of historical context? Or, or that are impossible to understand without. I think China, how they, uh, just how they today are just trying to, not trying to, I think they are just being so spectacular on the world scene and, and feeling that, hey, you know, there's some making up that we have to do and we got to show the world, hey, you know, that was then, that 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 so-called 100 years of humiliation. We don't want to be defined by that. We want to be seen as the great civilization that we have always been through most of the past two or three millennia. This really was the, the, the greatest place on earth. And we want to be defined by what was great and not those years when we were, you know, the sick man of Asia and everyone was picking on China. So, yeah, the whole the striving for national wealth and power, the whole kind of, yeah, national level ambition, you can't really be understood without without understanding how, uh, what, what China exper- experienced beginning in, in the 1830s, right? Yeah. What, what though, do you think, I mean, I, this is something I've observed many times. I've probably said something about this on the show before, Jeremy, if, you, if you'll r- remind me. But uh, I... I've always found that Chinese are at once the people who are most freighted by history, just where history just is so much baggage. It's weighing down on them so heavily. And at the same time, they're also paradoxically the, the, the people who 
can reinvent themselves on a dime. What do you think, Laszlo? Where do you come down on that question? Are, are Chinese more freighted by or freed from history these days? Hmm. I really don't know. <laughs> oh, good. So it is a paradox because I don't know either. I'm, I'm glad that you don't. Yeah, I just I'd think, be... hey, Chinese today want everyone to see, hey, look, we are one of the great civilizations on this earth. And uh, what people, what's taught most often, what people most remember is recent history, not what happened 2,000 years ago. So, you know, there's just this, 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 uh, what is it, an ethos out there that, hey, we want to be considered, uh, you know, the great, the great people, the great nation that we are, and you know, just to forget about this if recent may, history. If I may um, offer a, uh, an opinion on this. Um, Please. I mean, I think Chinese are quite similar to Americans now in the sense that their history burdens them and frees them. So, you know, the, the American equivalent of what have you, a lot of what you see going on in China is, say, the Tea Party, where you're using basically the name of the Tea Party comes from the Boston Tea Party, right? Is that well, correct? that's not burdened by his. I mean, that's just like this kind of idiotic appropriation of something that had nothing whatsoever to do with what, what they're talking about now. Well, that's what, when most Chinese people talk about 5,000 years of history. That's kind of what they're doing, you know. Uh, you're, you're, using, you're using history to justify certain things. Uh, today, I don't think that's the and uh, you, what you're saying has got ne- not necessarily anything to do with the history you're talking no, about. No, I think it's just there. It was just a, a lame pun on the word party, and the, 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 they they have this idea that it was an anti-tax rebellion, and that was yeah. You know, there's, there's well, a lot of Chinese that. people have the idea that there's been one unchanging China for five thousand years, sure. and that's completely ridiculous. So I, I don't think there's as big a difference as you are saying. But let's move along. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so I have, I have a friend of mine um, who, with whom I've, I've butted heads many times. Uh, he is very insistent on th- this idea that, that contemporary China, that, that China in, in, since 49 can be really understood as just another Chinese dynasty, that it, it, it basically has all the same dynamics of, of, of a dynasty that it has, you know, just it's old, old wine or new wine in old bottles. Uh, what, where do you come down on that? Do you think that, that post-49 China, it, it's even really instructive to think of, of, you know, dynastic cycles and mandates of heaven and things like that when it comes to China today? Yeah, well, in a way, it's not a dynasty in the sense that you have, like, a traditional dynasty. Or... There's not emperors and whatnot. But it is, it's, you know, every dynasty, in a way, was just another government. And now it's... You, know, you had the Qing, then you had the, the, the Republic of China, which was a short period uh, on the mainland. And now it's, uh, now it's the People's Republic of China. I mean, you could call it a dynasty. I mean, there's obviously there's not emperors in that sense, but it is, in a way, a dynasty. So it's brand new. Like it's in what to... way is it a dynasty? Well, it's, 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 it's a, a government. It's a government. Well, it's it's a... All, all countries are ruled by governments. I mean, what, is there something particularly like? Well, China has that, that tradition of yeah, you know, but... dynasties going back to time. So it is a new government, but it's so early in the game, and it's still on an upward trajectory. You know, there really hasn't been anything in that Chinese sense of that traditional mandate of heaven, you know, where things are, terrible things are happening that, uh, you know, acting as a, as a harbinger of uh, things that to come, that, the, that, that, that this government is uh, on its way out. So, you know, it is, a, it is a period, and I think a thousand years from now, you know, however long uh, this, uh, this government lasts, uh, it will be looked on as just another period 
in Chinese history. You know? Really, I, I I I completely disagree on that. But uh, we'll we'll, we'll say that. We'll, we'll talk to you in a thousand yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you, you were t- talking, Jeremy, about um, Americans and, and their understanding of China. What about Chinese and their understanding of American history? Uh, do you think that, that it would behoove the Chinese listening audience to have a some guy, Chinese-American or, or something, uh, for example, to, to doing a podcast in Mandarin about... Uh, well, I mean, the there's, there's, States, there's so. uh, what's his name, Gao Yansong. Oh, yeah, that, Gao Xiaosong. Uh, uh, sorry, Gao, Gao Xiaosong has the, the show. Oh, he's America. great. I actually really like And he's like pretty funny. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think it would behove them and more. They need a lot more of it. I mean, I, I think um, one of the biggest problems in China today that faces the foreign ministry, ordinary Chinese people seeking jobs abroad or... Um, uh, many of the interactions China has with the outside world is um, that there is not a sufficient understanding of the way things really work elsewhere. There's and, this I dismissive mean, attitude about American history that, oh, you, you don't You have only a have history, a few hundred years of history, only... you, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, or, or there's this idea, you know, that one sees often portrayed in, in, in for example, the Global Times that there's not really free speech in America, that in fact it operates just like it operates here. And that's one of the things that I always find myself really getting mad about. Is like I'm, not, I'm talking about history. I'm talking not about understanding contemporary American society. I'm talking about actual understanding of history, the way that Laszlo does history. I mean, is there, would there be, you know... A, yes, there should know, be a Chinese podcast about, like, right. democracy the in Athens. radical reconstruction. Let's, let's, Democra- let's, let's start with democracy in Athens, no, I'm talking like a okay. hundred shows, you know. Sure. You're getting mad with me. And our guest is bored. Let's go back to our guest. Let's move. Let's go back to our guest. thought you would jump in here. So, where were we? <laughs> let's, let's go into safe. Um, safe. Other, so, what are some of the topics safe. that you, you would love to do but you haven't gotten around to? I mean, I, I would love to see, for example, you touch some of the warlords of the 16th Yeah, they're on the list. Yeah, I always uh, like Fanisha, yeah, the Fanisha. Christian warlord. Yeah, I'm going to do a warlords one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'll do one, you know, a podcast on each you one. You should, you should. I mean, do Zhang Zulin, Wu Peifu, uh, do Yan Xishan. Feng Yixiang, Feng Yixiang. Was, yeah, yeah, those, those yeah so uh, yeah, that might see when I start a topic, I don't know if it's is that you know, well, I took forty minutes on this guy, or is there fifteen minutes and he's done? So will I combine them all together, or maybe just the Warlord era might be a good series. Uh, the uh, like I did with Deng Xiaoping, I want to do the same thing with Zhou Enlai because he's always been a sort of a personal favorite of mine. Hmm. And um, are you going to cover him? Uh, paying attention also to the sort of revisionist, like anti Joe and Lai. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I don't. Uh, want... uh, what's your take on Joe and Lai? Is yeah. he the the people's hero, or is he just a he is the manipulator? Hero. My who did Mao Zedong's evil bidding. He had to do what he had to do. I think he was. I think he was a great historical uh, person. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna go see his. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not just gonna come out and you know say, well, you know, the man was a saint. Uh, I, I'll I'll do some good research on him. Not everything is positive. I'll just try to give a good. You know, I'm not a I'm not a professional historian. No one's here to listen to my opinions and yes, insights. they are. That's and, why we're here, actually. <laughs> I think last one one of the 
the series that you did, which I thought was very, very interesting, when you did Zheng He Xia Xiang, when you did the whole series on, on, on the, the voyages of Zheng He, uh, you, you dealt, as you inevitably would have to, with the whole Gavin Menzies controversy. Oh, right, right. And uh, you, you handled that really, I thought, pretty well. I mean, you weren't as mean-spirited to the guy as, as I certainly would have been. I would have just been, you know... He's a complete all, kook. Yeah, I would have gone Jeremy all over him. <laughs> yeah, but you know, he he wrote these books, and I just I just tried to present it and summarize it and say, well, you know, this is the story of Zheng He, and here's what this guy said. It was the same thing with um with with Marco Polo with Francis and, Woods book. Yeah, with Francis Polo. Woods book, right, right. and yeah, that's a legitimate. Uh, that was a legitimate. For those of you who who don't know, Francis Wood wrote a book that was basically questioning the authenticity of of Polo, whether Polo or Rusticello's version of Polo, uh, whether it could have been completely fabricated just based on Persian sources. Because, well, I guess what her evidence is that. She only, he, he never only mentioned uses, chopsticks. He only once. uses <laughs> he only uses Persian names. He never uses actually you know the Chinese names of cities, you know Quinsai instead of Hangzhou or Linan. Uh, he, he never uses you know, mentions not not just chopsticks but the Great Wall or foot binding, which was prevalent by by the, the Yuan. And the fact that there's nothing written about him in the right. Chinese record, and and there's nothing there's no reference to the writing system either. There's nothing you know he he didn't write uh, that. Or Rusticello, rather, who, who who took him down, didn't write that uh, they used this bizarre writing system, which was sort of pictographic in origin. No, nothing like that. Yeah, so that was worth mentioning. So I added yeah, that. Yeah. And, um, so that's how you. Uh, I think you know that's how you come come out and do a good fair podcast. Have you gotten a lot of hate mail? I mean, do people, you know, jump on you the way they sometimes do? Oh, the two of us? <laughs> you know, one. Person when I first started, my first one was on um, Qin Shi Huang, and I had compared Li Si to Dick Cheney. Oh, and, good, you know, that's appropriate. Lisa was the, <laughs> well, I the, thought the, there the was, uh, you know, there there was maybe Carl Rove. Yeah, so I got just uh, someone wrote this scathing uh, attack on me in uh, some iTunes uh, review. So I said, well, you know, you better not be so political and say those things. It would, God gets they, they attacked you because they were a Dick Cheney supporter. Yeah, because they're Republicans. Yeah, right? yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was someone who, you know, I don't know if how Republican. They were just very anti-liberal, and they just sort of perceived me as, uh, you know, just attacking, you know, the whole conservative movement just by comparing Penko. Lisa to, to, to Dick Cheney. So, um, but other than that, one guy got on my case because, um, you know, I said, well, you know, you should say Beijing and not Beijing. And just, I, I, who are you to say that? You know, that's what it says in the dictionary. And just, you know. Somebody called, really? They, yeah. They, Does it say Because Beijing you wanted to pronounce Beijing correctly, they got on your case. Yeah, you well, said, it's not that Beijing. it's saying, I just said, well, you know, don't be like those, you know, TV announcers. Yeah, you know, I that's not Beijing. That so I, I remember you know, that said, well, who, who are you to do that? And, you know, uh, and then I actually did look in the dictionary and it, uh, it did actually say, yeah, yeah Beijing was uh, Beijing acceptable. Is, oh. It's acceptable. So it's like, well, you know, hey, I'm just trying to make you sound smarter. But, but, yeah. But other than that, that's it. Everything has been very positive and complimentary, and it's just really... May, well, maybe it's just that sort of Californian sunniness that... But I'm you, from you Chicago. Radio, right? well, <laughs> that's even, that, that's yeah, you live in Cali. You sound like a normal yeah. guy, which is really yeah. nice. Hey, uh, what other topics can we can we look forward to in future podcasts from you? 
Oh boy, I'm gonna no, draw you, you a blank here. You have Typing Rebellion, yet. huh? You yeah, Typing that? Rebellion is, is on there. That's gonna uh, be like 20 a, episodes. Probably, yeah, that's huh? gonna be a long I can't one. Can't wait for that one. Yeah, that's, that's, that's gonna be a good one. There's a lot of great, uh, uh, a lot of great books on that. Typing Rebellion is, is there? Um, Are there politically hot topics that you don't dare touch? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, the Cultural Revolution was the most requested topic of all time. Just from the day I started. And and uh, that was uh, I got the most mail saying, hey, you know, when you entered the Cultural Revolution, and can't wait to hear that one. And I just was so, I said, well, that's the ultimate political topic, and I didn't want to do it. But you know, uh, after uh, conferring with several Chinese friends, they said, well, you know, that's totally safe. I mean, the party has already ruled, ruled on that, so it's like go ahead, nobody cares. So I went and did that one. But uh, things with Tibet, Xinjiang. Right, so the Qing conquest of Inner Asia. Do you, do yeah, you know that might be a little bit... Uh, although I, I think I, I, I could pull it off. I think there is a history there. And you, could, you, could, you don't have to uh, talk about independence or anything. There's, uh, I think there's a legitimate history there that could be taught. I think I could do that. And... Um, yeah, you know, for the Deng Xiaoping episode, you know, I said Tiananmen incident rather than Tiananmen massacre. And uh, somebody's so, going to fault you for yeah, that. Yeah, somebody said, well, you know, you let Deng Xiaoping off the hook. Easy for that. You uh, and Ezra Vogel both. Yeah. yeah, what's, what, you know, why? I'm not here to stick my finger in anyone's eye. It's like, just, it's no big deal. That's just <laughs> a, a, a. My attitude, too. Jeremy, should we should we ask Laszlo a little bit about his his re- most recent work? Yeah, I think a little bit of time. What do you think? I think we should do that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, you worked for years as a kind of like as we said, the radon, the fixer for a Chinese manufacturer selling. Is it like paper products in into the states? Bai Hua, Bai Hua, all sorts of yeah, just you know, ordinary consumer goods. And you must have seen some pretty dramatic changes over the years. Um, I guess just just for for. Um, I mean, anecdotally, what what are you seeing just in the last five years in terms of the export industry in China is taking a huge hit, and there's so much competition. Margins are just razor thin. Um, labor costs are 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 soaring. Yeah, what's happening in in that in that industry? Well, that you... China's still, you know, undoubtedly, it's still a major major manufacturing powerhouse, and they export more than just you know cheap made in China stuff you see in Walmart, Kmart, and all the uh, across U.S. retail, but that's been my angle since I got into the business in 1989. Is I work for Chinese manufacturers that are making stuff that's going into the mass market, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. not on Fifth Avenue, Michigan Avenue, and you know, and it's all the specialty stores. It's going into the mass market, right? And you know, that's the Walmart's been, and the Kmart's. Right? Yeah, so. That business is really uh, is suffering right now because prices never go up. They only go down. And mm. over 30-something years since the whole thing kicked off with the special economic zones, the, 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 the manufacturers are really suffering. And, I mean, one of the – it's their own fault. I mean, nobody – they had plenty of time to do it, but nobody came up with any brands. So China, the, the, the manufacturing base, these OEM manufacturers – uh, they just focused on that and said, you know, give me, what do you want to make? Is it a, you know, is it an iPhone or is it a, you know, a notepad? Uh, I'll make it for you. Tell me how you want it. What specs do you want? And 
And that's what China did. And oh, it was great. It brought in, what, three trillion plus of foreign exchange. And, uh, you know, but now China's suffering because that whole that whole business of, 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 of just making OEM products, you can now do it anywhere. And mm-hmm. Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia, all these other Southeast Asian Not the higher-end stuff. It'd be hard to replace a Foxconn. Or, yeah. So, I mean, my point is, even with all this cheap stuff, it's not just the price. I mean, yeah, you said uh, wages are going up like crazy. RMB is creeping up. And just the cost of doing business in China has been increasing. So these guys, these these just these vanilla OEM manufacturers, like the guys I've, you know, worked for, I've worked for three companies. They're all big public uh public companies, uh do substantial business in the US, but you know, they don't have a brand, so they're getting squeezed like crazy. You know, the internet totally changed the dynamic. You know, going back to the Silk Road days, you always were able to protect your sources and, you and hide your... them from view. Right? Yeah, nobody knew who they were, and that's what made you, you know, made you profitable and special. And you know, once the internet came out, you know, these factories just, oh, you know, <laughs> have a website to hang out a shingle, and it's so easy to find them now, Alibaba and all these other uh, other other ways. So. These OEM manufacturers now have been completely commoditized. So if a guy wants to make, you know, some journal or some guy has a Disney license and he wants to make these backpacks, these Mickey Mouse backpacks, I mean, it's he could just go to, you know, any number of factories. Oh, they have to be Disney approved. That might not be a good example. But, you know, just anyone who wants to make something, there's factories galore in every single possible category of general merchandise. That's right. I mean, you'd have to do two stops. You'd go to Wenzhou and go to Dongguan, and you're pretty much covered. You've got it all, right? Yeah, that's it. I mean, you could get 15, 20 guys, and it's like a dogfight. You just throw a hunk of meat in the middle, and these guys <laughs> just just battle it out. And the last dog standing... You know, he gets the order and, you know, it's, it's, his cost is a dollar. He's selling it for a dollar if he's lucky or maybe he's selling it for 95 cents. And, you know, with the, in America now with all the safety and all these rules and you got this compliance and oh, they're just the cost of satisfying U.S. retail has just become very high and it's just not everybody can do it. It's, it's just uh, it's just adds on top of the cost uh, you know, on top of uh just uh you know on top of wages and everything else that 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 is is going on it's just puts unbelievable pressure on these guys so a lot of them are going out of business but it's not so easy just to pick up well people say oh well you know i'll go make it in sichuan you know or nate move into the interior it's like well you know Maybe, yeah it's but, cheaper but that's a whole different can of worms transported out of exactly. there exactly the whole new same yeah. things well yeah. it's cheaper in indonesia it's cheaper in india yeah it is but then there's other things that they don't have that china has you know over the last 30 years china has developed hand in hand with american retailers and the whole retail market and it's not just the price it's you know it's that whole slew of you know behind the scenes uh subcontractors and raw material suppliers and you know china has the entire package all in one place right. to get it made the get entire it shipped. supply chain you know they right, have right, these export right. uh uh 
distribution centers now where, you know, if someone like Walmart or Staples or whatnot, I mean, you could just take everything and load it right into a container in China, you know, 100, 200 SKUs and ship it right to the, you know, just to the, to, to serve like two or three stores and so what you're saying is that it's got much, much more, much more difficult, but it's not that this business is going to disappear from China. Yeah, it's not going to disappear just from too China. Set, it's set up yeah, too well. Yeah, some stuff is going to move to It's too to integrated other... to the global supply chain. Yeah. There's... What's preventing anyone from, from building brands? Why? Uh, I mean, I, I've made this observation, you know, a hundred times before. If you rolled the clock back 25 years and you're talking about, say, consumer electronics, any American could have rattled off the name of five Japanese brands, even though they're these, you know, foreign language polysyllabic words, you know, Hitachi and Toshiba. Yeah. I mean, it, it'd be pretty easy for them. But... That's it. What right. stopped what them? Stopped I worked them? for these guys. They were free to do it. They just didn't do it. Nobody's done it. Right. You have Qingdao, Hire. Yeah, and, and who else? Lenovo. Lenovo. Right, right. You know, you could find it there, but I really, really wouldn't call that like a famous brand. Uh, yeah, Hiar is. I mean, what they've got a, a big share of the college dorm refrigerator market, and, and that's about it in America. They're, I mean, none of them are doing spectacularly well, and, and Lenovo only because they acquired IBM's PC division. Yeah. Right. Let's. I mean, who else? Fl- There's my, really my, nobody else. No, no, there isn't. My my suggestion. Is that it? It's just this Chinese attitude about brands to begin with, um, the 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 sort of frugal Chinese mindset that sees value as simply a function of price and quality and, and nothing else. And anyone who would pay a brand premium is a chump. Anyone who who, who would sort of pay more or, or believe there is more value inherent in something uh, just because it had a particular name attached to it. Uh, I think Which is ironic. It's such a brand love. Now, now, right? That's starting to change, and that may be one of the the, uh, the the good effects of what I think is otherwise a rather deleterious trend, which is the embrace of of you know like high end designer brands and stuff here. Anyway, there another was nothing topic. to stop them. They right. didn't do it. And now it's 2013, and you know you just can't start a brand overnight. It's it's it's, it's a long term investment and. Well, there, there really... is one brand I believe in. That's the China History Podcast, and I, I'm, I can't say enough good things about it. Uh, you know, we should probably move on to recommendations now, don't you think, Jeremy? Unless you've got anything. Um, so let's do it. Yeah. yeah, let's just do it. Um, you go first. Me go first. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll go. For, I never go first. I'll, I'll go first. But yeah, I mean, since we're all talking about people who've made contributions to popularizing Chinese history. I'm going to recommend a book by Simon Winchester. Uh, it's called The Man Who Loved China, The Fantastic Story of the Eccentric Scientist Who Unlocked the Mysteries of the Middle Kingdom. I'm not crazy about the subtitle, but of course, it's talking about Joseph Needham, who wrote Science and Civilization in China. I've actually slogged through the first two volumes, and boy, it's hard going for somebody you know without a rigorous scientific background like me. But um, I mean, I mean, I'm somebody without a rigorous scientific background. Uh, it's coming for a little bit of criticism by some snobby academics, but it's a really enjoyable book. And uh, as things, you know, as 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 far as popular histories of, you know, he's just such a great character. Needham is such an interesting guy. Uh, he's such. I mean, there aren't polymaths like him anymore. The guy was trained as a biochemist, uh, but you know, he he taught himself Chinese and taught, learned it extraordinarily well. He's a very gifted mathematician. He, he knows the history of science. He knows all fields of science. It's really, really dramatic, um, this, this, the story of the guy uh, and his political involvements as well. Uh, really good. I think I, I find Simon Winchester to be a really enjoyable writer. 
So uh, yeah, that's my recommendation. Um, Jeremy, you want to go next? Yeah, I'm going to recommend uh, uh, an article by somebody who's been on our show before, James Palmer, and whose articles I have, in fact, re- recommended before. Uh, it's called The Strangers, Blood and Fear in Xinjiang by James Palmer. It's, it's, it's another one in Eon? Or? Uh, no, it's on China File, on the Asia Society's oh, really? China File website. Um, and yeah, it's good. It's about, you know, Uyghurs, ethnic tension, uh, riots. In rest of Xinjiang. Rest of Xinjiang. Um, James Palmer, yeah. So he was on, on our, our traditional Chinese medicine podcast. He also wrote a terrific piece on Ayan about generations, about the, the post-80s and post That was the one that I'd actually previously recommended. Right. So I, I'm obviously becoming something of a James Palmer. Uh, I am definitely a fan of his, his writing. Oh, yeah, he is. You know, I was out at uh, Great Leap Brewery the other day, the other night, and uh, just sitting with a bunch of guys. And, uh, you know, he was there. And yeah. they introduced, oh, yeah, this is James. And I think, you know, I listened to this guy talk. I'm thinking, wow, this guy is smart. And I didn't know who he was. And then, you know, walked, got a taxi. He split. And I said, wow, man, that guy was impressive. Lazo, I I who was just, that he guy? He just fooled you with the English accent last uh, night. Nah, no, no, no. He's, he's not that smart. smart. This guy <laughs> was, he was very impressive. And then I said, who was he? And I went and checked around. I Googled a bunch of things. I said, oh, wow, that was James Palmer. Oh, yeah. man. That's... Yeah, no, no. So I have something a little lighter. I'm I t- to me I have a passion for building bridges between uh, you know, America and China. I mean you know, the West and China is one thing, but I'm an American, so I care about building bridges between America and China. And and uh, there's a there's a new uh, show that's out. It's a video. Uh, series by a guy named Howie Southworth. Oh, I yeah, talked yeah, about yeah. him uh, in my last uh, the last podcast I did on the history of the Chinese in Mexico, and yeah, he's got a great show. It's called Sauced in Translation. <laughs> uh, the guy's uh, he's an educator working out of uh, Northern Virginia. He teaches at GWU. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, it's a great show, and he takes American food. He films, uh, he's got two shows out so far, the first one in Chengdu, and he did one in Harbin, which was quite quite good. And he takes American cooking, and he builds that bridge between America and China by taking American cooking and going to China, looking for local ingredients and uh, cooking in China and just taking that. Link making that linkage between uh, you know American cooking and Chinese cooking, and it's really he does he's a great uh, presence, and uh, he's 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 got a, his partner does all the uh, videography, and uh, just uh, just an enjoyable show, and he does a good job at it. So Howie Southworth, sauced in translation, he's got a bunch of other things too. Excellent, uh, yeah, I've already gone and liked his Facebook page and looked at a bunch of the stuff that he's done. It's it's a lot of fun, it's great. Yeah. Um, you, Jeremy, you've tried my my uh, all local ingredients Mexican cooking. Haven't I you? have very yeah. good, very yeah. good. You're a great cook, Kaiser. Thanks, Something man. people don't know about you, maybe. <laughs> okay, hey, Laszlo, man, we'll, we'll look forward to having you back next time. And um, listeners out there, if there's if this, this this entire show has been one long recommendation for the China History Podcast, um, we we just keep up the good work, man. I hope you never flag. Ah, thank you, thank you. Can't wait to come back. Hey, is this the chair that Bill Bishop sat in? That is. It is the very chair that Bill was in. (laughs) All right. Can you smell the (laughs) baijiu? Okay, folks, we'll see you next week. Oh, actually, uh, National Day holiday. Jeremy, you need to take a week off, right? Yeah, let's take a week off. Yeah, let's Let's recharge. Let's celebrate the uh, birth of a nation. Yeah. And the Chinese dream. Okay. Okay.